Well, this morning, we're continuing our series, A Future and a Hope, God's Presence in Our Trials, as we, as we unpack this subject of, of navigating and managing our own personal struggles and valleys from and through a biblical perspective. Last week, if you were here with us, uh, you know that we began looking at this topic with our first message, which was perspective in pain. And we, we looked at the importance of remembering that God has our best in mind, that he is in control, and that he has a plan. This really was an opportunity to, to introduce and to help us all digest and understand a, a theology for suffering, a biblical framework in which to understand why God allows suffering and difficulty specifically in our lives as his children what his purpose is in it the 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 fact that he has a greater plan that he's working out and, and that no matter what happens he is in control so if you missed it go back and give that message a listen but today we're considering trials and these valleys of life that we endure through a message titled, Persevering When We Would Rather Quit. And I, I would imagine that most of us can relate to that because I think we probably have all been in a place in life where we are just, we're done, we're over it with whatever it is that we're going through. Maybe a short-term trial, maybe a large trial, maybe a trial that's just sort of weaved its way through our lives for a long time and it's just draining us and draining our faith and we're kind of at a place where we'd like to give up. Perseverance is that quality, that attribute or aspect of character that forges ahead when we would rather quit or give up, when we're tired, overwhelmed, or discouraged. Maybe even when we know enough to conclude that giving up or quitting is a reasonable decision. But we know that God is calling us to persist. There are those times in life where we're going through things and there are people around us, sometimes well-meaning, maybe even who love the Lord that would say, you know, I think it's time to, uh, I think it's time to pull the ripcord on this one. I think, it, I think it's time to cut bait and move on. But the Lord's told you, no, I want you to persevere. So instead, <laughs> when we recognize that, we purpose to keep moving ahead despite the pain and struggle. That's perseverance to continue our pursuit of the goal, to finish well, as Paul writes of it elsewhere. There's a lot of times in life when we would rather quit, when we're tempted to throw in the towel and, and walk away. William Barclay, some of you are familiar with that name. Uh, he's a, um, a Christian author from a time back, but he writes him an incredible story of perseverance in his book, The King and the Kingdom. Sometimes it is very hard to keep on when we do not seem to be getting anywhere. When Thomas Carlyle had finished the first volume of his book, The French Revolution, he gave the finished manuscript to his friend, John Stuart Mill, and asked him to read it. It took Mill several days to read it, and as he read, he realized that it was truly a great literary achievement that his friend had written. Late one night, as he finished the last page, he laid the manuscript aside by his chair in the den of his home. Well, the next morning, while he was still sleeping, the maid came in. Seeing those papers on the floor, she thought they were simply discarded. She threw them into the fire, and they were burned, all 282 pages for which that was the only copy in existence. 
the old days, right? <laughs> there, wasn't a, there wasn't a document on his computer. It was all gone. On March 6, 1835, he never forgot the date, Mill uh, finally got up the, the courage to call on Carlyle in deep agony and told him that his work had been destroyed. Carlyle replied, it's all right. I'm sure I can start in the morning and do it again. Finally, after great apologies, John Mill left and started back home. Carlyle watched his friend walking away and said to his life, poor Mill, I am so sorry for him. I did not want him to see how crushed I really am. Then, heaving a sigh, he said, well, the manuscript is gone, so I had better start writing again. It was a long, hard process, especially because the inspiration was gone. It would take two full years before that first volume would be printed in 1837. It's always hard to recapture the verge and, and, and the vigor if a man has to do a thing like that twice, he writes. But he set out to do it again and finally completed the work. Thomas Carlyle walked away from disappointment. He could do nothing about a manuscript that was burned up. So it is with us. There are times to get up and get along and let what happened happen. There are times in life when the only way to persevere is to do that very thing. Get up and get going and let what happened happen. I, uh, I remember it. It's not hard to remember because it was only a few years ago. Um, some of you know I've talked about from time to time classes that I'm taking to finish my degree. What maybe I haven't shared with all of you is that Three and a half, almost four years ago is when I started the process with a university overseas that was uh, working with um, the half of my degree that was completed years ago. And when I was finishing my next to last semester, almost done, and had that final one left in which I just would have to finish a capstone project, and then I would have my degree, uh, the university reached out and said, we are canceling the program that you're a part of, and we won't be continuing it. Have a nice day. And um, because of things that are not important to get into right now, it would be a challenge to get another school to pick it up at the place that I was at. And basically, I had wasted um, a year and three quarters, give or take almost two years, investing in completing my degree. And I was so discouraged. I, I really wanted to give up and quit. And I, I just I told the Lord that, told my wife that, told other people that. I'm done. Forget it. Um, so frustrating, weekends, hours invested to get to that point. But it was a couple of months later that I said, you know, it's going to be a few years, I'll be 50, and then I'll be 55, and I'm going to look back and think, okay, why didn't I just get it done? And so the, the, what I just finished recently was restarting that, and that was part of the hard part, was I knew if I start again, it's going to actually take longer, which it did. It was two-plus years because of, again, transferring things between schools. It doesn't always uh, translate Needless to say, uh, I can understand this, and I'm guessing some of you can as well. Getting down a certain point in a path and having everything sort of dissolve around you, maybe investing in a relationship that ended up going nowhere after a long period of time, hoping for an engagement that didn't happen, maybe like I mentioned before, a degree, a job that you thought was going to translate into 
um, a, a, a lifetime and it ended up falling apart. That's difficult. It's hard to persevere. It's hard when there's opposition, when there's discouragement. It's hard to keep investing when that investment is not realized, when it's not appreciating, to use financial terms, to keep, uh, to keep working toward a goal that seems to be eluding you. That is hard. Well, what we're going to talk about this morning is that, in fact, in fact, God wants to equip us to persevere when we would rather quit. And, and he has given us the, the tools that we need for that. He's given us the power for our trials. He is, in fact, present in our trials. And then lastly, he wants to equip us with perspective in our trials. So why don't we pray and we'll look at that first point this morning. Father, as we open your word, we're asking that, God, you would speak to us, Lord, um, we're here talking about this subject for the second Sunday, and there may be some that are saying, all right, I'm done, I got it. There's others who maybe are saying, um, you, this, this isn't even touching the depths of where I've been. Lord, I know you are faithful to your word, and God, you speak through it when we have ears to hear. So this morning, would you give us open hearts, open minds to receive the seed of your word, God, that we might be changed and that we might grow by it. We ask that. In your son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, today we'll begin by recognizing that God gives us power for trials because one of the biggest issues with persevering is when we come to a place in our life where we feel like we just can't keep going. We no longer have the strength to persevere. We're not just hopeless, we're, we're without any energy to keep moving forward. You and I are not left to manage hardship on our own. God doesn't do that to us. He's not expecting a, a, us or calling us to muster up the strength and to press on on our own. Not at all. Instead, God's calling you and I to depend entirely on him in these places and times, these most difficult seasons that, that can sometimes stretch into years because everybody knows what it is to have a short-term trial. I had a bad day. Well, okay, it was something that lasted a couple of years. Uh, it was a disappointment. It, it's, it's something that's gone on for 10, 20, 30 years. That gets hard. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 is a passage that's familiar, but I want us to digest it in the context of God's presence in our trials, how we access it and how he makes himself available to us that we might persevere and not give up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path, all of your heart, not part, not some, all of it. I thought about that again during uh, worship, that final song that uh, Pastor Frankie and the team led us in. Choosing, purposing. I have to walk through this exercise in worship, and I've spoken to it before. Maybe you, you can relate, but choosing in the midst of singing the chorus, in the midst of voicing those words, Lord, I am going to believe and I'm going to stand on this truth over what I'm struggling with, over my own heart and my doubts and my fears. That's what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart, to lean not on your own understanding. You see, when I lean on my own understanding, I can come up with all kinds of reasons 
why it is reasonable to not believe that things are going to work out okay, to believe that it's not going to be okay, that maybe even God's not in control, that I am justified in, in losing it, in walking away, in quitting. But God's called us to do so many things that are contrary and, and counterintuitive to where we would go on our own. That's why it's so important that we be students of the word. We'll talk more about that a little bit later, but uh, he gives us power for our trials. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You see, when we try to figure it out on our own, we are at great and grave risk of ending up exactly where he does not want us to be. Now, to take this a step further, Jesus went so far as to declare that we were powerless apart from him. It's not just that we don't know what we're supposed to do or where we're supposed to go. It's that we can't do it. And sometimes our very sense of feeling hopeless and, and powerless is related to the fact that we're not relying on the power that he's provided. We find in John chapter 15 these words of Jesus, verse 5. He said to his disciples, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The picture, the illustration is simple. Most of us have heard it before. We've studied it, but we need to hear it afresh in the context of the valley experiences in life, when we want to give up, when we're wiped out, when we're just done. I think about how it must feel to live on the west coast of southern Florida right now. Some of these people, we see their lives playing out in the news, everything gone, destroyed in a day. Those are those moments where you just you feel like, what am I supposed to? I can't. I just can't keep moving forward. But Jesus calls us in those places to depend on him, not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge him, to fall at his feet. If we're to persevere, to have the power and strength to endure under the weight of trials, and can I just say here real quick and correct my notes, we're not just talking about moving forward in some empty uh, obedience-defined way, but we're saying in faith. It's not enough just to show up. We're not talking about phoning it in, quiet quitting, all right, in our walk with Christ. We're talking about trusting Jesus day by day. It does not make sense. I don't feel like it, but I'm trusting you, Jesus. And I know you're going to give me the strength because I am clinging to you. And you promise that when I do that, I'll receive the life and vitality that, that is, is inherent in your person and character and who you are. We have to abide in Christ. We have to remain in him. We shouldn't be surprised when we... When we struggle and want to give up when we know that we're not in the word, when we're inconsistent in worship and prayer, we're not abiding in Christ, we're maybe just religious and have redefined what it means to be faithful according to what's convenient for us, as I mentioned earlier, sort of 
more, more of just a, uh, an exterior show. Because there are some among us that I would say, uh, you might even say, are, are stronger, a strong person. Well, I, I can push ahead. I can get it done even when times are hard. But that's different from doing so in faith and trust in Christ. We can't not read the Bible, not pray, not be in fellowship and worship and expect to enjoy a strong relationship with Christ. To be able to bear up under and press through hard things. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll end up buckling and giving up. We're leaning on our own understanding and strength. Failure is natural under those circumstances, and it should be expected. That's what Jesus promises when we're apart from him. He actually says it, for without me, you can do nothing. Pretty stark statement. Verse 4 again, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, abiding in Christ. I think the most um, near example of this that I can think of are our devices that we are so dependent on today, whether it's a, a cell phone or a tablet or a laptop. They have to be charged, right? I mean, the newer and the nicer, it's awesome, right? Because the battery life keeps getting longer and longer and longer. But, but it, it's not indefinite. It does have to be recharged, right? You have to connect it. Um, <laughs> My, my cell phone right now, it's on its last leg. It, it, it can make it through both Sunday morning services, but I have to get it up almost to 100 before, and then I plug it in because I use it as a timer, right? I, and I'm way overdue for getting it replaced. Don't feel sorry for me. It's my own fault. But my laptop before that was even worse. I had to keep it plugged in even more so, like all the time. It would die in, in a second. And don't worry because I have a new laptop too, so I'm, I'm okay. I'm just whining. You and I are, are very similar, right? We, it's been said before, it's like we leak the Holy Spirit. It's because, you know, we wrestle with this body of flesh that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 7. We have to continually abide, remain in Christ, that we might continue to receive the infilling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that we might be equipped and enabled to live this life that we're called to. We have to remain constantly plugged in constantly plugged in. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. A fruit-bearing plant or tree whose branch is not attached to the vine, the main trunk, it's going to die. That's obvious. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The same is true for God's people. If we're to have spiritual life, vitality, and strength in us, we have to abide in Christ. We have to remain in him. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. When we do abide and remain in him, we experience his power and life, his strength. We bear fruit. We're healthy. We have the power that we need to walk through the difficult places of life, not under our own strength, but his. Now, in addition to the power God gives you and I to persevere, we also find that, that he desires to strengthen us through his nearness, and that is his presence for trials. So not only does, does the Lord empower us to navigate trials by his own strength as we abide in him, 
But he also wants to reveal to you and I that in those places when we most want to give up and we feel alone, that he is, in fact, with us. We become discouraged, overwhelmed, we're tempted to give up because trials, valleys, they make us feel alone. They make us feel isolated. And the temptation is to take that a step further and imagine that God has abandoned us as well, which is why we feel this way and why no one else seems to be alongside of us in this time. Maybe you've felt that way before. You've failed too many times. Uh, people have stopped believing that your intentions are good. You feel that you've got more enemies than friends. The, the reasons to give up are more than to continue to press on. You just feel alone. And loneliness and depression can be the two biggest reasons for deflating our drive to press on, leading to quitting and keeping us from persevering. And it, and it leads us, again, to feel that God's not with us, that he's not present in that place. Well, when I think of that very thing, where my mind goes is to the Old Testament. The prophet Elijah understood this all too well. Some of you remember his life, and he had, he had lots of ups and downs. Specifically, 1 Kings 19 is where we'll look this morning. His story is one that I think can be really encouraging to us in our moments of hopelessness, when we'd rather give up than persevere, because Elijah found that God was with him, even when he felt the most alone. And maybe what's especially encouraging is that when Elijah was feeling sorry for himself, God was still there with him. God didn't abandon him, even when his heart was in a place that we would probably do well to question. Remember what was happening in the prophet's life? He'd been called by God to speak truth to the wicked king Ahab and, and his idolatrous wife, Queen Jezebel. Jezebel and Ahab, who ruled together the northern kingdom, uh, centered in Samaria. Well, the land was overrun with idols and, and cult worship, and finally God led Elijah to a confrontation on Mount Carmel. And uh, there it was that Baal was exposed as a false god, and the hundreds of priests, actually 450 were there at that time, who'd gathered to worship him were slain. Jezebel, the, the queen, was hot. Those were her people who served her God. And Elijah the prophet had just moved from becoming an annoyance to an enemy of the state, and she wanted his head. Well, we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. <laughs> here's, the, here's the prophet Elijah. He just stood up against 450 prophets of Baal and this uh, woman queen sends this note and Elijah like picks up his little robe he was wearing and just takes off, tears out of there. You know, where's your faith, Elijah? I don't know, but he was, he was upset. He ran. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, uh, left his servant behind. Poor guy, just, he's like, what? Where are you going? Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. 
and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Whoa. Remember James writes in chapter 5 when he exhorts us to pray, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Yeah, he struggled. He was depressed. Some might even say he was suicidal at this point. Not that he was going to take his life, but that he was telling God, just take my life, I'm done, I'm over it. Have you ever found this scenario to play out in your life where you reach a high and, and then all of a sudden there's a real low that follows? Maybe the enemy comes in and attacks at that time. And I think that was happening in the life of Elijah. Fear was overtaking him. He had this amazing courage before. And, and now suddenly he's, he's terrified. It's like he's just been carrying too much. And he's overwhelmed. And he says, Lord, I'm just, I'm done. He was having a hard time persevering. He wanted to quit. Even though God had just done a powerful work. The prophet felt abandoned and alone. Powerful people wanted him dead, and, and he'd worked faithfully for so long. He just wanted to be done. He despairs of his very life. Elijah's bad off, and, and I'm sure some of us can relate to that, thinking of a time where you're just you're so tired. You've been on this path for so long, and it's just time to throw in the towel. Lord, I'm just, I'm ready. Well, Elijah's story continues. God, God knows this sometimes we're struggling. And hear this, the physical matters as much as the spiritual at times. And the prophet needed a meal, some water, and a nap. And he got those, actually, miraculously. And you can read 1 Kings 19 to get the whole story. But God provided water, food, and rest. Then God led him to a cave far to the south. He actually traveled 40 days down to Mount Oreb, which is also Mount Sinai. They're in the Sinai Peninsula in modern-day Egypt, west of the Red Sea. And the Lord led him up into a cave, verse 9 reads. And he spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Maybe you know this already, but God doesn't ask us questions because he doesn't know the answer or like he's actually looking for information. He asks us questions because he wants us to wrestle with the answer ourselves. What am I doing here? You ever had God ask you that before? What are you, what are you doing there? Well, Lord, I, I, no, no. What are you doing? Are you trusting me? Are you about what I've called you to? Are you managing this by faith the way that I've called you to? Elijah's response, verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. God asked Elijah what he's up to, and Elijah points at everybody else. Well, they're all off base, and you know what? They, look at what's wrong with them and what, what they're doing wrong. And by the way, I'm the only faithful one here. Have you not noticed, Lord? Could you maybe help a brother out? Do you see what's going on in my life here? You're asking me where I am? Don't you know? I'm, I'm running for my life. God is present in our trials. He's with us. We just become so focused and fixated on our problems that we can't see beyond them to God who's not only in control, but is near 
He's ready and able to help, to, to minister to us. We're not alone. Elijah felt alone, but God was right there with him, ready to speak. Hear this, when he was ready to listen. And sometimes God has to wait until that moment comes in our lives. He's waiting to speak until we're actually willing to open our ears to receive what he has to say. So here God reveals himself to the prophet who was convinced that he'd been abandoned, that none were standing for God but him, and he just, he just is over it and says, Lord, just take me home, I'm done. Verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. God says, get up out of the cave, go stand outside. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Wild. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And then God spoke to Elijah. Following this encounter, God encourages Elijah. He speaks to him because this was, after all, his voice now that Elijah is hearing. That, that not only is he not the only man standing for God in Israel, God says, yeah, just a minute, Elijah, let's get a few things straight here. I know you're having a bad day. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal in Israel. You're not alone. But and also that he wasn't done with him yet. God then told Elijah work that he had yet for him to do. Elijah, I'll, I'll decide when, when it's time for you to clock out at the end of the day, okay? And we're not there yet. You need to trust me. You need to slow down, and you need to listen to my voice again. In this storm that was Elijah's voice, or excuse me, in this storm that was Elijah's life, where was the Lord? We tend to want to find him in the spectacular. If I'm going to hear from God, I have to go to this special kind of service. If I'm going to hear from God, I have to call this one certain friend. If I'm going to hear from God, I'm going to play, you know, roulette on the Christian radio stations or uh, pull books off my shelf and point and find it. And, you know, wait a minute, that's on, you know, uh, Christian living for women. That's kind of strange. Uh, I don't know. If you're a woman, maybe it would work. But anyhow, we look for all these fantastic ways for God to move and speak. Yet God reveals himself in the still, small voice. A place that we can only find and recognize when we quiet ourselves, slow down, and look and listen for him. Which can be very difficult when we're discouraged and in the middle of a trial, can't it? Because we can feel like, I already did that, I already tried that, and he didn't speak to me. He didn't meet me. Maybe not on your terms. Sometimes there's more waiting and preparation in our hearts that we might receive from him than we realize. God is with you and I in our trials, but we have to be willing to stop running around like chickens with our heads cut off and sit at his feet. I mentioned, I think it was last week, I mentioned that our family and I, we were up in Northern California this summer and we visited San Francisco for the day. And you know, if you've ever been there, Parking is difficult in San Francisco, and we were, you know, had the day planned out, and we, we found a parking garage, you know, we're trying to find parking in the city, and we find this parking garage, and, um, and it was a little bit, little bit suspect, it was kind of different, but we thought, okay, <laughs> it's 
It's probably survived, you know, a few earthquakes. It'll be all right. So we park and we leave and we go about our day, hop on, hop off bus, um, you know, our adventure in San Francisco. And towards the end of the day, it's getting dark. I think we were having dinner. We were at, you know, Boudin's and having our, our clam chowder bowls. And it occurred to us, when did the parking structure close? Surely it's open till midnight to, uh, you know, cater to lovely tourists like ourselves who want to stay and just enjoy this, uh, the beauty of the bay. And, and we're walking, you know, and you know how when you're walking towards something you're worried about and you start getting more stressed and pretty soon, you know, the kids do, oh, shut, shut, just be quiet. And we're walking, we're trying to get to them, you know, getting around the corner and, and, you know, they're just being innocent, having a good time. And it's like, and, and we come up to the parking structure and sure enough, there are these gates down over the entrance and we look at it and it had closed like literally minutes before we got there. I look around the corner, our car's being towed. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't being towed. But we're there, and it was like in this moment, the natural reaction arises. Like, just freak out, melt down. And we're all, you know, Whoa, what are we going to do? And, and I'm telling kids, all right, we, we have credit cards. We'll just walk to a hotel. We'll survive. You know, we'll see you another day. But we kind of wanted to go home that night. And so... We, we, we did good. It was one of the few things we did good that day. We checked off the box, and I said, let's pray. Let's pray right now because, you know, I always make the right decisions in my home and family. And so we prayed, Lord, you know what to do here. You can open this thing and let us get our car. And, and you know, and I, I kid you not, the moment I said amen, the garage door, oh, no, it didn't open up. But we walked along the front of it. I was kidding. And, and all of a sudden, my eye catches this little janitor lady way in the back. And I'm like thinking, she doesn't, she doesn't have keys. She doesn't have any way to open this thing up. And my daughter go, goes, uh, excuse me, hello. And, and, and the lady kind of turns, and then now I'm shouting. And, and the lady comes over, and we're like, could you help us come in? And she right away, you know, yes, I'll, I can open it. That's, that's my miraculous story there, the deep trial I went through where my car was for a moment in a parking garage, and then it was out. <laughs> Stop and pray. Listen for the still small voice. We have a hard time doing that, don't we? We're in the middle of it. We feel overwhelmed, discouraged. It's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to reconcile this issue relationship? How am I going to move forward out of this conflict? Stop and pray. Listen for the still small voice. It's there we remember with David that the Lord is our shepherd. We needn't fear any evil, for he is with us. Prophet Isaiah likewise writes of this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God not only supplies uh, power and the encouragement of his presence that we might persevere when we'd rather quit, but he also offers and calls us to gain a proper perspective in trials. Our last point this morning. Understanding God's greater purposes, it enables us to gain freedom from the tyranny of our trials. When we step back and see our situation in light of the truth of God's word. And in light of eternity, it frees us from bondage to our valley experience. You ever feel that way about your trials? 
about the hardship that you're going through, the thing that just hasn't resolved, the issue that you just keep. It, it's draining your strength from you. Like, man, I'm just chained to this thing, and I want to be free. Paul writes about this in a few places, but, but notably in the second letter to Corinthians, the Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And I think what's spoken to here, there's, there's a little bit of a sense of irony because I, I want to be careful to clarify that we're not talking about God bringing instant and miraculous deliverance from the difficulty, but, but instead freedom in it. That is what David wrote about in the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. It's recognizing he's with me and I don't have to be afraid. I, <laughs> every sign and signal and evidence is that this is not going right. It's not going the way that I need it to. It's not going the way that it should. But I'm not going to be afraid because God is in control and he's faithful. And th there's a step in growth of faith to move out of being afraid and discouraged and wanting to give up, frankly, to persevering and saying, I'm going to trust God for another moment, another hour, another day, another week, another year. He's going to be faithful because he's promised, and I can trust his word. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who are, excuse me, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. There's this reality where the trials that we go through, they are bringing about a death in us, a death to our flesh, a, a death to our self-life. And in so much as we die away, the life of Christ is more greatly magnified. People see Jesus better in you when you die as you struggle, when you walk by faith as you persevere through the pain. Beyond the theology of suffering, which we looked at last week, this passage, it reminds us that God is at work through our trials and suffering, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. It's encouragement to hang on when you'd rather throw in the towel. When we press forward through our trials and tribulation, people see Jesus in us. God's building up faith in us. We're encouraged, we're strengthened, but what we need to remember is that others around us are encouraged, and maybe more importantly, the lost that are watching see, oh, there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a reality to what this person says as they watch you navigate pain. It's different when the Christian suffers 
and endures pain. I remember a sweet saint out in, out in Redlands. She actually lived in Mentone, if you have any idea where that is. But she would walk to the packing house miles each day. This little Jewish lady who had come to Christ years before. I remember her telling me she'd been married to a man and they owned a, a place, a shop down on Fairfax in L.A. And they were well-to-do. She came to Christ. He didn't want anything to do with her. And she kept following Jesus. And, and in all honesty, she was a little bit eccentric. But, but as I spent time with her, I got to know her in her heart and her love for Jesus. And towards the end of her life, her son would come out more often and visit with her. And when she was finally in the hospital and her condition became terminal, I would go and I'd visit Stephanie, Stephanie Levy. And, uh, and I remember one time going to Redlands Community Hospital and there was a window there. And as I came in, and she was dying, and she knew it. And she said, she said, Pastor, the Lord said that he would open up a, a, a window in the heavens and pour out a blessing such that I couldn't contain it. And she was just rejoicing in this beautiful window view that she had of the hills as she looked out while she was dying. And she would witness to those that would come into her hospital room and to uh, her family that still didn't know Christ and would share. But, but enduring suffering in a way that brings glory to the Lord, in a way that points others to him. That's hard, and it's not always possible to do it perfectly. But there's something about choosing faith, choosing to trust the Lord. An author for the devotional Daily Bread writes that young William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the early 1790s after another defeat in his 10-year battle against the slave trade in England. Tired and frustrated, he opened his Bible and began to leaf through it. A small piece of paper fell out and it fluttered to the floor. It was a letter written to him by John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, shortly before his own death. Wilberforce read it again. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in, oppos in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which he wrote is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. And resistance to Wilberforce's work uh, in abolition was, was that great. The end of slavery in the British Empire seemed impossible at that point. He wrote, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. I read in an article for Christianity Today that Wilberforce was initially optimistic, even naively so, earlier on in his life. He expressed no doubt about his chances of quick success. As early as 1789, he and a colleague managed to have 12 resolutions against the slave trade introduced, only to be outmaneuvered on fine legal points. The pathway to abolition was blocked by vested interests, parliamentary filibustering, entrenched bigotry, international politics, slave unrest, personal sickness, and political fear. Other bills introduced by Wilberforce were defeated in 1791, 92, 93, 97, 98, 99, 1804, and 1805. This article goes on that despite poor health and he continued his fight, and his anti-slavery efforts finally bore fruit in 1807. Parliament abolished the slave trade in the British Empire. 
But he then worked to ensure the slave trade laws were enforced. And finally, that slavery in the British Empire was abolished. Wilberforce's health prevented him from leading that last charge. Though he heard three days before he died that the final passage of the Emancipation Bill was insured in committee. Wilberforce was targeted personally, maligned, and attacked for his views and his fight against the slave trade. But he knew that if God was for him, none could be against him. And he persevered on in the name of God and in the power of his might. Insomuch as you and I are serving Christ and living for him, he is for you. He's for me in our struggle, in our fight. Remember Paul's word of encouragement to the Galatians that Wesley shared with Wilberforce. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on the relationship. Don't give up on the dream, the goal that God has given you. Don't give up on his calling on your life as his daughter, as his son. Don't grow weary. He will give you power. He is with you and heaven is before you. Today's sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. Maybe Pastor Frankie and the team can join us as we prepare to take communion this morning. When... When we consider endurance and suffering, perseverance in the face of trials, there's no greater example than our Lord in, in his loving sacrifice in our place on the cross. And as Frankie mentioned earlier, there are communion cups. There should be on your seats. If you don't see one, there's probably one nearby. We'll take together in a moment. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 reads, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured because he saw the prize. Suffered the shame that we deserved, that we might be redeemed. Father, as we pause here before the communion table, we confess our own weakness. And I would encourage you in this moment, maybe there's an area in your life where you're struggling to persevere, struggling to trust the Lord, to have faith. You really would just rather quit. And frankly, maybe you've already quit. You've already given up. But the Lord's saying, don't grow weary in well-doing. You'll reap if you don't lose heart. Trust me. Help us to trust you, Jesus. Help us to reach out afresh in faith. 
that God, you who didn't spare your own son, but gave him up freely for us at the cross, you're not going to withhold from us any good thing. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you did, in fact, you have laid your life down for us. And we enter into the intimacy and the fellowship of that sacrifice through relationship. And, and we do so in this moment by taking this meal that you have given to us, this communion supper, where we take the bread and the wine and we remember, Jesus, your body broken for us, your blood poured out, that we might be healed, our sins forgiven, born again and made new, our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us that in placing our faith in you, we are forgiven, cleansed, and made whole. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so you can take the bread out of the top layer of the cup. And Father, we pray that you would bless this bread that represents Jesus, your body, broken for us. We thank you that you came and that you died, that you were broken, that we might receive life. We pray that you would bless this bread now as we take it in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread. Scripture reads that in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Jesus, we are reminded that your blood was poured out, your very life, that you received in yourself the punishment the justice that we deserved for our lawlessness, for our sin and rebellion, that all we like sheep have gone astray, but that, God, you caused our iniquity to be laid on him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Jesus, that through your death we live. So we pray that you would bless this cup that represents life everlasting. We pray that you would bless it as we take it now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us, for the hope that you give us through the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus, may we be a people who abide in you, that we would know that you're with us even when it feels like you're not, that we would quiet ourselves and listen. We would trust that you are working even through our pain. God, we purpose and choose to do that, to walk in your life. 